before we take a break next week Sunday, I have given Joe an open brief to share what's on his heart for Sterling as he has his last pitch on staff. We will have him back, I promise, but not in the same way. Um, I'm going to ask you to open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, as we wrap up this very rich first opening verse that leads to the joy of the second. Um, and uh, it's a joy this morning to preach on something that is very precious to Jesus' heart, his local church. Yeah, Lord, as we come into this book, I'm just aware that we are not talking about an attachment to our lives. We're talking about what we have been grafted into. And she is very precious. And Lord, this church that you bled and died for, it is what you are building on planet Earth. And Father, I pray today that we would move from being people of seeing the church as a place where we come to, to being a place which we are a part of, grafted into. And that, Lord, the words today around the wisdom of how you have put her together would be wisdom for the rest of our lives. Lord, you have specifically put her uh, in such a way to be guarded and guided, but also, Lord, to be a blessing to this wonderful world which you've made. And I pray today, Lord, may our love for her grow. As we speak about her, we would feel jealous for her well-being. We would honor the way that you have ordered her. And that, Lord, we would see the grace and peace that comes from God through this design flooding this church. And uh, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So in verse 1, it's a simple opening line, but it, it's, it's magnificent in its, its uh, instruction to us. So I'll read from verse 1, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the holy ones, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been staying quite a while on this verse because it is a beautiful picture of what a healthy New Testament church looks like. Do you want to be a part of a healthy New Testament church? Amen. And so this is not just academic, this is for us. And uh, friends, this Philippian church, it might not have been the flashiest, but it certainly was faithful. And uh, it was honored as healthy. And it's a mirror for us today. And uh, when we look into this mirror of verse 1, we see five beautiful components which we've been looking at from different angles that sets up the book of Philippians today. And unless we see that grace flows in all of these ways... Uh, we will miss parts of what God wants to show us as we get to the rest of Philippians. And so uh, Paul believes in the local church. Uh, we saw that uh, this is an affirmation of what he sees a local church as being. Uh, it's not some abstract thing. It's concrete. And we see it on five parts. There are five important components. In that one verse, you'll see what Paul affirms. We have Christ, the head of the church. Wasn't it wonderful to sing about the sufficiency of Jesus this morning? Uh, we, he rules and reigns. We have his mantle upon us, and friends, you must feel like you are responding to him all the time when we are gathered in whatever form, when we are praying, he must be there. And uh, the way that he's put his church together inside for us this morning are the miraculous gathering of saints. Although we're not getting our behavior, certainly in our position, God has done a work in us to qualify us to run for him. He has risen us from the dead, made us uh, new creatures in Christ. We have been born again 
through a living hope. And it came the moment we responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where God gave us a capacity to believe in him, in his son, Jesus Christ. And from that moment, we are never the same again. We're in a community that has an eternal destiny different to what we had before. And we are gathered under the lordship of Jesus because of the evident presence of his spirit in his people. And the saints... Within them, the Holy Spirit appoints leadership, and we looked last week at the importance of elders. And friends, I want to remind you again, if you didn't listen to the sermon, please do. There are, there are not many opportunities we get to talk about the church in this way, but um, elders are, are there as shepherds, as overseers, as, as uh, examples to the flock to guard her. Uh, the church is not without enemies in the world. And uh, false gospels are trying to creep in all the time. Satan hates the church. And so God appoints men to be in positions to guard her, care for her, see that she is um, on track to meet Jesus one day. And then there's these deacons, which we're going to look at today, and the last, which is the translocal ministry. And um, what does that mean for us as a church? I, I, I mean, I, I know that uh, many of you might be wondering, why are we talking about these offices? Well, can I just be honest with you? In my 37 years of being in church, I have never heard a sermon on a deacon. Have you? How many of you heard a sermon about what an elder does? Yeah, okay, some better than deacons, right? But these two offices in the church, which are here to lead and be grace gifts to us, how are we supposed to relate to these offices if we haven't got a clue of what they do, right? And when we say we are appointing deacons at our AGM, uh, we have lots of different terminologies, don't worry, catch up with our constitution and foundations. The annual general meeting, where we appoint all these, I mean, when we say, here yeah, are we putting the deacons before the church, I mean, an uneducated person like myself going, what am I looking for? If I don't know and I'm saying yes to you, doesn't that a bit dangerous? You're kind of just trusting that the, the mechanisms of the, the constitution's working well. No, friends, we must know what this means for us and the grace gift these beautiful people are deacons to the life of the church. And let me tell you the joy there are to elders. And I'm hoping today that you can see that there are things which you are permitted to aspire to in the church. Could I just have the deacons put your hands up, or former deacons, come on, Karen, won't you stand? Where's your lovely husband? Is he hiding? <laughs> Here's one of our deacons, that's Karen. I know Pierre was a deacon. Yes, that's right, he's now an elder. Um, but uh, any other former deacons here? I can't see any, but um, we have them divided up amongst the services. But the point is this, is that there are offices to aspire to in the church. And might I just say, the reason why I say that boldly this morning is because they come with the promise of great reward if you serve well. And there is this day coming, 8 o'clock. Uh, it's sitting on my mind. Isn't it wonderful when things seem to be going worse in this world, you realize that this world is not the final say. And we know that there's just Jesus coming. It's every morning I'm getting up, I'm one day closer. And I want to run in such a way when he looks at this church and looks at me, he crowns us with a well done. And who knows, today I'm trusting that there will be fresh faith in men and women in this room to deacon. And let me tell you, there are gifts, there are blessings. And to love the church, friends, again, I'm not talking about an abstract thing here. To love the church is to love Jesus' body himself. And um, we'll also be looking at translocal ministry because, as you know, we have officially left the Baptist Union. Why? Why? We're an advanced partnering church. Why was this massive shift in our heritage of such importance that we had to uh, switch, not switch camps, uh, we're already part of one, but leave the other. And we want to look at that very briefly today. I just want to give you a few thoughts around that. So I only have two points, but my first point is where deacons come from and what they do. 
And I hope you remember because year by year, we're going to call you to affirm decisions on these people, but also hopefully maybe you'll be one of them. Uh, the Greek word is diakonos. Maybe you've heard that before. And it means one who renders service to another. It's beautiful. It's about another. It's about the joy of seeing the well-being of another. And it's an attendant or servant. And I love the way Perschbach, you know, the guys who write these, 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 these dictionaries, they never think about them being quoted in, in local church. I mean, this is what he says. Whose official duty was to superintend the arms of the church with other kindred services. Uh, I mean, anyway, if you understand that, well done. I'm not going to waste time anymore. But they have responsibilities. And their origin is difficult to trace for good reason. We'll see. So unlike elders, which are peppered throughout the New Testament, these deacons, there are only two scriptures. That's why I'm, I'm latching on today. You know, I've only got two chances in the Bible to talk about deacons. And it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And the other one is 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. And the thing that's fascinating about deacons is they don't actually tell you, the Bible doesn't tell you what they should do. They just said these are the kinds of men and women that they need to be if they're going to be able to do, well, who knows what in Scripture. It's an open-ended question. And this, this open-endedness around deacons, but, but affirming their qualifications is very helpful because deacons actually have quite a, bro a broad open brief that carries great responsibility in the life of the church but you'll see is highly flexible. And the best example which I can give you today of what you must be thinking about a deacon is actually one that's not really called uh, a passage on, on the diaconate, but it is certainly the prototype, the beginning of Acts, uh, where we see this office starting to come through. Now, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7 is what I want us to look at. It's a beautiful way of seeing the grace gift of this office to the church. Let's read it together in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, this is the Jerusalem church, a complaint by the Hellenists, which are the Greek speakers, arose against the Hebrews, the Hebrew speakers, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. There's a role that they had to do. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves, that's a strong word there in the Greek, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God, that's the beauty of it, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What I want to point out from this text is where we see the origin of the prototype deacon is that when the church grows, this is very important, more problems arise. The bigger she gets, the more difficult it is because the more number of people you have in a room, the more diverse the opinions, the more uh, problematic can be uh, subtle insinuations. And, and can I say this morning, it was no different. This Jerusalem church had moved from 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 to 8,000 plus by Acts chapter 6. 
Now, I just want to say, I thank you, Lord, you do not give me that brief on eldership. I know maybe Mark's more ambitious than I am, but when I look at 6,000 plus people, and by the way, that's the 8,000, that's the minimum, is I can see the enormous stretch on these 12 apostles. And just like happens in church growth, problems arise. We're happy to have them because they're signs of life, but goodness me, they can stretch leadership. And what's fascinating for me is in this Acts chapter 6, these apostles don't go and appoint more apostles. I mean, that would be what I would think. Well, let's get this tier of leadership stretched. They say, no, there's something unique about these appointments of these apostles and their gifting in the Holy Spirit that isn't just simply multiplied. Rather, let's, let's look at another uh, space in the life of the church, leadership requirements, but that can bridge the gap. And uh, there is something about a preserving of the role of the apostles where they would not be exhausted by this very responsible and highly significant ministry in the life of the church. But there is a division. There is the, the teaching and ministry of the Word of God and prayer, which is essential to the life of the church from the very beginning. What's the first thing that Peter does when the Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2? He starts to preach. And who gets saved? 3,000 people after hearing the preaching. There's the sharing of the Word of God right from the start. The church lives and is ordered and comes alive in response to the Spirit coming down upon the Word of God. But the problems of growth come later. And, and friends, this is fascinating. This needs to be guarded in order for this to survive. Are you with me? Okay. Now, what I love about it is these seven men were called forth out of just what was the need of the hour. What, what do we need? We need men to oversee the distribution of this very large ministry. I think there would be hundreds of widows in an 8,000 plus church, right? He only appoints seven. They only appoint seven, by the way, which is very few. That means they had significant leadership over many other people to make this ministry happen. But the point is this is their need came out or their calling came out of what was the need of the local church. Eldership was very different. Eldership was established because it was to oversee the ministry of the word, which is right from the very start, the fundamental need of the church. But later on, as growth came up, there were problems which called forth the diaconate. It was assignment-based. It was an open brief that was there to meet whatever the need was because of growth. And the spiritual criteria was very high. I am not talking about deacons being people that are just rocking up with their hands. These men, these seven, had to look after multiple teams, the money to buy the food, the procurement of the food, the preparation of the food, the teams to give the food out to these hundreds of widows, and, and they, would have had to, they couldn't do it themselves. They would have had to oversee the teams to do so. So when they talk about high spiritual criteria, it was for good reason. They had to be of good repute, good character, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In other words, they needed giftedness and the help of God to do this, whom we will appoint this duty that, that was seen by the leadership. And so the spiritual criteria is high because the responsibility was very high. But do you note that in this text, their responsibility required no teaching? And there's the difference. Elders had to be able to teach, and you, within that space, elders had to cover the bulk of the preaching. That's 1 Timothy 5. But the deacons were not required to teach. They were essential to the unity of the church and the, and the progress of the Word of God. But their main job was to have integrity before the flock to get things done with the help of the Lord in such a way that would bring grace 
towards growth. Now, these men and later women, we see in Romans 16 verse 1, like Phoebe, they were to be people that the church recognized and respected. So when we say, guys, we're bringing four deacons to be appointed at SPC, part of you affirming that is you can recognize and say, yeah, I trust these guys. And uh, there is something about these, these, these men being, when the, the apostles say, you go and get them, we'll make sure that they're okay and then bless them for your safety. Is Deacons were meant to carry the respect uh, of the congregation that actually went about and said, we see these guys as leaders. We're willing to trust them. And leadership was willing to do the same. They appointed them, though the people brought them forward. And that means there is something very beautiful about the diaconates. You have elders who lead from the front and deacons that are recognized from both sides, congregation and elders. And as they move between the two, so grace flows. You with me so far? That's the first time I understood the office of deacon in 37 years. I hope I gave you a head start. And what happened is this, the blessing of this office was the word of God continued to increase. God came down upon this office and blessed the church through her. And the number of disciples, they multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And uh, friends, I, I, I want to remind you that this is the exact way deacons are applied later on in the New Testament. The, the larger churches like this size, Philippians and Ephesians, they had deacons present because of their growth. The smaller churches like the little ones in Crete, uh, Titus was told by Paul to make sure they had elders because the word had to be guarded and the flock had to be fed. Couldn't be without any uh, teaching ministry under the responsibility of eldership, but they could later on uh, need deacons. Okay, so I want to go to one next slide, please. Can you all read that? I wasn't too sure if it was too small. You can tell me afterwards. Okay. So I, I want to just highlight what's important in these two offices and their differences briefly. So the elder from the start is essential to the local church, and the deacon is essential as the local church grows. Maybe we have that problem for many years to come. And the role is defined for an elder, and the responsibility of the elder is clearly brought through. And Timothy is told by Paul that this guy can't be a new convert because he's going to be tempted. He's going to fall into pride. That means the level of eldering, which wasn't a concern for Paul with deacons, but the measure of eldering in the church was a temptation to power. It was a temptation. And if the guy couldn't match his character to the call, there was going to be problems. And the elder had to guard, guide, and govern. And through oversight of doctrine, discipline, direction, dollars, you can listen to last week's sermon. But essentially, the, the management and the oversight of the church, her well-being was in the hand of the elders, and the deacons, their role was needs-based. As it came up, the reason why you have qualifications but no brief is because their brief could be anything that was required in leadership. And qualifications are high. You can see between an elder and a deacon, they're, they're pretty much the same, except the difference is an elder must have an ability to teach sound doctrine, and the deacon, although must not have to be, or they don't have to establish the teaching in the life of the church, they do have to hold to sound doctrine. And that's the big difference. If a deacon comes to you and says, can I pray for you? Can I come visit you? Can I? What we are saying is they are sanctioned as being people by the eldership who are sound in the faith. That's very comforting to me, especially if you're not sure who the person is who's coming to you, but you can say, I'm a deacon at SBC. But they had to hold to sound doctrine. They didn't have to establish it. And um, they had to both first be tested 
And the beauty of this is because both the church and the leadership felt comfortable with and affirmed deacons, um, they could act on behalf of the eldership, and the congregation was very happy to receive their leadership as recognized. And we see that in eldership, our official position, as I said last week, if you want to know our doctrine on it, is called spacious complementarianism, which just means come to Foundations Week 2, and we'll talk about it and have some copies after that. Uh, the overflow of, of, of how we see team leadership in the Bible. We don't see any female examples of elders, but we do certainly see female examples of deacons. As I said, Romans 16 verse 1 is very beautiful, as well as 1 Timothy 3 verse uh, 9 and 10. Okay, so a high degree of trust from both, and uh, we can see that they work very closely with the elders in Scripture. So, how do we express that at SBC? Because we are looking to move our diaconate forwards into a more biblical uh, expression of what this grace is meant to be for the church. Well, how do we work this out? Well, it's important for you to know we have something called the executive at SBC, which means whenever you hear the word executive, it means it's there to get things done. And um, we have elders and deacons together. They come once a month, um, excluding holidays. And whatever is important in the life of the church, that's what we discuss. And uh, before we bring big things to you, like our proposal to leave the, the Baptist Union, that's the space where we feel, what, is, what do these people think? How's it going to go with the rest of the church? We, we test these things, and, and they hear uh, privileged information that uh, we work through as elders, and, um, and uh, we, we come to conclusions, we get their feedback, sometimes we go back to the drawing board, sometimes and often there's a lot of unity of going, no, we think you're on track, or this is our input. Um, and so we have this space where the deacons and the elders are working closely together for your well-being, regularly, and their voice matters. And the way that we see this morning, Karen, won't you could, ah, oh, Wayne, does Karen want to come and represent you? Can I ask you two to come up? Come on, Wayne. This will be your, your rare moments. He loves this. Quick, quick. Let's go. So we've got two kinds of deacons at SPC. Short, short ones and long ones. There we go. <laughs> so these are our Sunday deacons. Do you, you might not notice, but there's a lot that has to get done on a Sunday. And these two have actually helped write a manual for it. That's right, eh? We sat together and we put it together. It's a book. And what they do is they are leading servants, which means I was watching uh, Karen having a conversation with everyone in the kitchen. I'm not sure if you're leading, but you're certainly showing good leadership. Um, and what happens is when you arrive here on Sunday, these guys are on point. They make sure teams are set, people are there. If someone's missing, they're on it. They notice changes. They notice you. They notice who's not here. They notice what's going on in the back. They give some ideas around family ministries. They go, how are we identifying new people? They're on at this congregation as servant leaders to make sure that the needs are met in this congregation through the leadership for your well-being. Did you enjoy the Sunday service so far? Can we give them a round of applause and say thank you so much? Then we've got specialist deacons where we've got Shane Verve in finance. They don't serve on Sundays, but they serve on the finance team. We've got Heloise Sibbert who leads women's ministry. We're hoping to have worship ministry uh, represent every area in the life of the church under eldership, having these champions called deacons that are affirmed by you and us for your well-being. 
Now, I say all that is I want you to know that as, as leaders in the life of SBC, we are trying hard to be a biblical church for you. But that is not just one way. I said last week, could you pray for us as leaders? But more than that, we are praying that out of your ranks, some deacons might come. Can, can I just give you a little bit of a, 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 something that's maybe on my heart? Yeah, I want to say my shoulder, that's wrong, on my heart. You know, sometimes I think the church gets last dibs when it comes to ambition. I watch you guys, so skilled at getting the degree you want so you can get the promotion you need, so you can get the paycheck, so you can get the position. And I sometimes think to myself, and I'm speaking from experience, what would you want to weigh up when ambition is rewarded? Would it be till you get to 65 and then your tenure is done? How sad. Or do you have an ambition that can be rewarded for eternity? And I just want to flip a switch perhaps in some of you this morning and say, why is it that when it comes to eternal matters in the church, we are so slow to see the value of godly ambition to serve? And I don't want you to be the congregation that goes through this life maximizing all that you will have for only a moment. But when you look at men and women that have laid down their lives faithfully for decades to be a blessing to what Christ will honor one day, why doesn't that appeal to you this morning? You might say, well, I don't have great gifting. You don't need great gifting. You need a heart for the church. You need a heart for Jesus. And you need to see that in your character, you're faithful. You're not perfect, but you want to go after the things that Jesus loves. And when your brothers and sisters look at you, they go, man, there is a man or woman after Christ's heart that when they speak to me, I sense grace. You don't have to speak from the front. This is a perfect example. Wayne, how long have you been as a deacon here at SPC? You've lost count. I agree. I don't know. I can't remember either. How many of you have heard Karen share from the mic in the front? She often does. Will you put up your hands? Sometimes almost every Sunday. Wayne, how often have you come up to share? Uh, never. You know, for the first time, I heard you speak at exec when you said, these guys, I was on, on Tuesday night, I can't remember another time when you actually spoke out loud, although I'm sure he speaks through Karen, but, um, but, but he has a voice. I, they are the epitome of God's grace working through different kinds of people. And can I just ask you this morning, SBC, could you have some ambition for Jesus? Even if it's not for the dark, and it, it might be some aspect where God will reward. So, uh, because it says here in 1 Timothy 3 verse 13, he has the reward for a, 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 a deacon that serves well. It says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Not just now in this life before God's people, but one day a good standing and confidence before Christ. And his well done. Come on, guys. Let's see a bit more ambition for Jesus here. And then the last thing is, last point, what is translocal ministry? What on earth does that mean? Uh, it means that a healthy church, please, 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 this is also very important. A healthy church, just like an individual Christian, must never be isolated. What I appreciated about the prayer and the passion of it this morning was it was calling us to realize this gospel is more than ourselves. That's a blessing. To live the Christian life successfully in terms of eternity is to be a big pictured person. 
In other words, you're not letting this world squeeze you into a mere individual hope of what God is doing in you. Rather, the gospel calls us to see that you have been brought into a grand picture. And the church must feel that, that there's been a start of this planting of the gospel and there's going to be a fruition of it. And every church on every corner must feel the mission of God coming at her daily. If not daily, at least weekly. If not weekly, at least monthly. We should feel the sense of God positioning us for his glory. And uh, friends, that's what happens. The, the church in, in Philippi, that's most exciting. I don't know what God's going to do in Lesotho, but hopefully he's going to do a lot. But Antioch was the sending church. Antioch was like an SBC, had elders and deacons, big church. Sent off uh, Paul and, and, and Silas, and he picked up Timothy along the way. Paul went, and, and Paul was planting Philippi with his church team from Antioch. Beautiful. Then the Philippian church started to send out teams with Paul to plant more churches. And then they would send finances to support gospel ministry or Paul in prison, or they'd gather finances to, to serve the Jerusalem church, which was always very poor and close to famine. It's this beautiful picture from the second of her existence. The Philippian church is part of a much bigger picture. We need that church more than we realize. And the problem that comes in, this is the guarding that I want us to be careful about, is that the bigger the church gets in her establishment, the more self-sufficient she becomes. And then she just feels, well, I don't need these other people. We've got our worship ministry. We've got our preaching team. We've got what we need. We've got our building. And, and this is what Philippians guards us against, is being a kind of church that thinks, oh, well, we don't need anybody else because we've got everything we need. Friends, let me tell you the joy of Philippians being the size that she was, was that she never lost the size of the gospel. She never lost the fact that this was a mission field of the planet Earth in which God had graced her to play a part. It wasn't the only part that was happening. It was part of a great union of churches that were planting and spreading the gospel so successfully, so determinedly that people would be killed, people would be crucified, didn't matter. But the gospel reached Europe within decades. It, it was a, like a flame that was lit through men that went and plotted local churches and local churches never losing the mission of the gospel. And it was an exciting space. You could have one person being sent off and this person going there. And, and, and it, it was this constant working towards this picture of Jesus being honored in the nations through the gospel being shared off the back of local churches. And so why did we decide? We were already part of advance. But friends, in advance, we see out of all the movements we've been exposed to, not perfect, but this gospel embodying passionate group of churches globally that want to see the thriving of the local church, not just for itself, but for the sending of the gospel into areas where we would never think of on our own. And it has been a joy to see the grace that has flowed to this church. We would not be where we are today if it had not been for the partnership that we have had with Advance. We see that these translocal partnerships propel mission. We see that they pull resources to meet need for churches. You know, churches go through different seasons. Right now, Sterling has gone through a season where after deep pruning, we're seeing great blessing. But friends, churches need support in different seasons. They don't necessarily always thrive or always they can go through crisis and financial disaster and things that can happen. And the churches around those, that particular church are to be a blessing are to pull what we have to, to be used for the glory of Christ and the strengthening of the gospel in those areas. And I am 
joyfully admitting to you this morning that this church does not have all the gifts she needs to grow. And when you open up to these translocal ministries, you've had, I mean, it wasn't Greg Heasley brilliant when he came and preached on, on, on how the Holy Spirit brings a person to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that, that line he used that we get the gospel to people's ears, God gets it to their hearts. I mean, it was so liberating. It's become a motto of the way we see evangelism. But friends, prophetic gifts, Ephesians 4, I won't go into all of that now, but you can read it. It tells us there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It might not be apostle with a big A, but certainly these church planting ministries, these, these, these gifts to the church that are there, like, these, like, like uh, Paul and Timothy, that are blessings. And it's our hope. We're learning. We, we've been in not a great shape in this area for a long time, but we're learning what it means to partner slowly but surely. We're getting better at it. But friends, I look forward to the gifts that will come to us and that will be a blessing to others through this partnering with Translocal Ministry. And then my last point is this, my last little statement of Translocal Partnerships, why they are so important, is they are safety for eldership teams. You know, sometimes it's easy to ignore things when the going is good. But when things get tested... What's truly required often is only seen too late. And by the grace of God, in our church story, where our church eldership was split, and it happens, Timothy is a brilliant example. In 1 Timothy, Paul's Acts 20 prophecy came true. He says, fierce wolves are going to come amongst you, elders. In you, amongst you guys, false teachings are going to come into this church, and uh, fierce wolves are going to come in and devour the flock. You need to be careful, you need to be cautious. And 1 Timothy is the fulfillment of Paul's prophecy that the eldership were going to face internal doctrinal strife. And they were split. And Timothy is sent in by Paul and by the elders, acknowledging Timothy's position to come and put things right. That's why 1 Timothy 3 is all about elders and deacons putting the right leadership in the right place and being careful to appoint ones to it. And can I say to you, church, it is a joy for me to stand before you. If something goes wrong with Matt today, which it might, you don't know. I hope I finish well. But let me tell you, these guys can pick up the phone and call four or five gifted fathers and friends to this church, and they can step in and help. And uh, it made all the difference for us. Not that we abject or absorbed our leadership as elders, but when there is a division at the top, it is helpful to have friends in your camp. <laughs> and friends, we would not be here today if we didn't have that kind of support from men who humbly served SBC. I pray it's never needed in that way again. But if it is, if you're ever worried, you can pick up the phone. We'll give you the numbers. We are not alone here. And I hope that brings you great comfort. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we trust your word this morning. And our prayer as a church, may it be our prayer more and more, is that you'd make us into the church that Christ has designed. Lord, may we feel a part of something that fits with Scripture and flows in the way that you have put it together. Lord, I don't know exactly what's ahead for Sterling in detail, but I know 
you have got things for her to do that reach beyond these four walls. And you've got friendships awaiting her that, Lord, will enrich us. And I pray today, as a people, we would guard this church in our prayer and in our mouths and with our hands and in our hearts. We'd have ambition to love her well. And Lord, would you raise up deacons here this morning? Would people see the value of what's on offer to serve for what is eternally rewarded? And Lord, we pray today that this blessing of being a part of this movement of advance, Lord, we know she's not perfect because we're not. We're in her. But Lord, at the same time, we know that you have designed this family of churches. Would the grace gift grow, Lord, to us as your people, we pray. And will we play our part while we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Don't